Now let us take our Bibles and turn in them to our sermon text, which can be found in the book of Genesis, chapter 12. You can follow along in the back of your um, sermon outline, should be the text. Now, if you notice in the back of your sermon outline, I only have the first three verses, but in the bulletin, it says verses 1 through 9. So, my focus is really the first three verses, um, but I, I will read through, verses, through verse 9, but we're really only going to be looking at verses 1, 2, and 3. So, Genesis chapter 12, let us go before the Lord and ask for his blessing upon our time. Heavenly Father, as we come now to the ministry of your word, we pray, Lord, that your word will be read and proclaimed and heard and understood. We pray for the Spirit who inspired this word, Lord, to make us understand it, to illuminate it to us, so we may hear what you would say to us, and then we may see the riches and glorious truths that are contained therein. Pray, Lord, for myself as your servant. That I may speak clearly and boldly, Lord, from your word. And I pray, Lord, for the people here that they may listen and hear with open hearts and open minds to receive your word as it is proclaimed. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 12. Continue, please, to give your attention as God's word is read. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, we've all made promises, I'm sure, right? Particularly as your children are growing up, maybe you promise them that if they're good when you're going out, that you'll give them a toy, buy them a toy, or give them a cookie or whatever. Whenever you promise your children that, what do your children do? Well, they're always looking at you. Can I have my cookie now? Can I have it now? Is now the time? Can I have it now? How about now? And you're like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait until we're done, and then I will give it to you. Do I have a witness to this? Okay. I've been told that I was like that as a child. In fact, my mom would then give in to me and just then give me the toy. And then I would say, okay, now let's go home because I don't want to play with the toy now. So don't give in to your children. If you make a promise and tell them to wait for it, make them wait for it. But that's what we see here 
as we look at Genesis chapter 12, again, this is part two now in a series we're looking at called the coming of Messiah. As we look at the promises of the Old Testament, how the Old Testament shows us that Jesus was promised long ago, how he was then carried along through the Old Testament until we see him come and born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. But the promise that was made in Genesis 3 is now, in a sense, continued as we come now to Genesis 12 and the story of Abram, who will later, of course, be called Abraham. So I ask for your permission and your forgiveness now. I may slip up and go back and forth. I may say Abram. I may say Abraham. Same thing. Don't worry about it. So Abram is given a promise here, a promise that that through him, of course, will come blessings to all the world. And that's really the theme of this morning's message, which is the blessing of Messiah, the one who was promised long before, is that the seed now of Abraham, or Abram, is the one who brings blessings to all the families on the earth. The seed of Abraham is the one who will bring blessings to all the families on the earth. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at Genesis 3.15, how after the fall of mankind, uh, God, as he is cursing the serpent, makes a promise. And he says, there will come one who is the seed of the woman, and he will come and he will crush your head as he's speaking to the serpent, uh, signifying that the promise of one to come who will defeat the devil, who will defeat sin, who will defeat death. And that seed, that promise was given so long ago. And we see then a, a, a tracing then of the, the line of succession, right? Adam, give, Adam and Eve give birth to Cain and Abel. Abel's killed, but then Seth comes along and, and Seth kind of replaces Abel. And then you see these genealogies that trace the line of Seth to Noah. And then Noah, who is thought to be the child of promise, if you will, to bring righteousness. It is Noah in whom... Uh, salvation is, in a sense, given to all of mankind as he is the one who is preserved through the judgment of mankind in the flood. And then you see another genealogy as Noah's line is traced up until we see here in chapter 11, verse 27. If you look with me, please, at chapter 11, verse 27, you see this is the genealogy of Terah. Now that phrase, this is the genealogy, this is a sort of a marker in the book of Genesis. When we go through Genesis, we'll, we'll highlight this, but Genesis can be broken down into a series of these are the generations. And here you have this individual named Terah. And he is now, the, at this point in time, the, 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 the successor to the line, uh, the godly line that was brought all, promised all the way back in Seth. So we don't know exactly how much time has passed. Certainly centuries have passed. Perhaps even a couple of millennia have passed since that promise was made way back. So you've got all of this time waiting for this promise, waiting for this promise. And all of a sudden, you see this man named Terah. This man named Terah. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So he had three sons. And it's Abram who will be the recipient now of a great promise. Now the descendants of Seth, the godly line, 
have found themselves in a foreign land, if you will. They, they have migrated, if you will, to this place called the Ur of the Chaldeans. You see that in chapter 11, verse 28. They lived in the city of Ur of the Chaldeans. And you're like, where, where's Ur of the Chaldeans? Well, it no longer exists, but the city would have been somewhere in what is now modern-day southeast Iraq, uh, probably about 100 miles or so southeast of the city of Baghdad. And that's where, the, gods, that's where the, set, the godly line of Seth had found themselves. Now, God had plans for this line. Namely, that this godly line that started with Seth and now is coming up through Abram, that this line would be the instrument to bring out that promise of the seed of the woman. God, again, is working behind the scenes for all of this. These genealogies show these lines coming along how God made this promise, and now this promise is being carried through. And now we're going to see sort of a, an expansion of this promise here to Abram. This line would be the instrument to bring Jesus Christ into the world. And those plans also include getting the godly line into the land of promise. God doesn't want them in the Ur of the Chaldeans. God wants them in the land of promise. So that's why you see here at the beginning of chapter 12 how the Lord now calls out to Abram and says, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. He doesn't even tell him what the land is. He just says, Leave home and go to a place I will tell you. Kind of sounds like a Jack and the Beanstalk kind of thing. I've got these magic beans. Well, what do they do? I don't know. Let's plant them in the ground and find out. It's, it's kind of like that, right? It's like, you know, imagine what Abram's wife, Sarah, says when he comes home. and says, Sarah, we got to pack up. It's like, well, where are we going? I don't know. Well, how do you know when you're going to get there? I don't know. God will tell us when we get there. But we have to go. It's kind of like the whole thing about directions with men, right? It's like, where are you going? It's like, well, don't worry, we'll get there when we get there, right? So he's told to leave. Why? Because God wants the godly line. He wants Abram. He wants his descendants to be in the land of promise. So he says, go, go. Now, it should be noted also here at this point that for all intents and purposes, Abram and his family more than likely are pagans. They're not even really God worshipers yet at this point. Now we see at the end of the passage that we read in verse 9, that, or verse 8, that Abraham built an altar to God and began to worship him there. But before that, we have no evidence of whether or not they worship the Lord at all. But it doesn't matter because God calls him. God has plans for Abram. And he calls Abram to leave his ancestral home and go to a strange place. In fact, the author of Hebrews says, it's interesting when he says this in Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says this, this was a faith move. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> Again, he's told to go somewhere. He doesn't know where to go, but he knows that the voice of God is telling him to do it, so he gets up and he goes, and that is an act of faith. Is an act of faith that God spoke and Abraham said, all right, I'll go and I'll trust you, Lord, to lead me to where I need to go. Now, we need to note that God's call to Abram is an act of grace. 
Abram had done nothing to deserve this call. Abram had done nothing to earn this call. This was purely an act of grace that God chose Abram. He could have chose anybody, but he chose Abram. Part of the reason is because Abram, again, comes out of that godly line that we see traced throughout all the genealogies in the Old Testament that leads back to Seth. He would be the line that would produce the Messiah. And Abram was one of that line. So this is purely of grace. Abraham was not worthy. And his act of faith is also instructive for us as well. Right again, as the author of Hebrews says, that he went out not knowing where he was going. And sometimes that's what we need to do to walk out in faith. God calls us to do something and we need to respond in faith. Sometimes it means not knowing where we're going. Right? It's, it's an act of faith. It is an act of faith to obey the Lord in this case. But then also in verse 2 we see that God not only calls this pagan to leave his family home and go to a land he doesn't know, but he also promises then to bless him. Look again at verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now again, this, these are awesome promises here. Okay? Let's not look over these too lightly. These are awesome promises. Again, the God of all creation, who calls this nobody out of nowhere to go to a place he doesn't know, and he says, look, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make a great nation come out of you. And you then will be a blessing that will get expanded in a little bit. But he tells him he's going to make a great nation out of him. Now it's interesting because that promise is, is reiterated at several other points in the Genesis story. And, and there's one point where he makes the promise to him in Genesis 15. And, and Abram looks to God and says, all right, I believe that you're going to make a great nation out of me, but I don't even have any children yet. <laughs> How are you going to make a great nation out of a guy who's 100 years old, whose wife is 90 years old, and we have no children? That's when God then makes a, a, you know, the, the covenant scene there you see in Genesis 15, where the, the, the God himself walks through the, the cut animals to promises like, look, my promise will come true. You will be made into a great nation. It's not only promised to Abram, it's also promised to Isaac, and it's promised to Jacob, it's promised to all of his descendants. This promise that God says, I will make of you a great nation, it's a promise that will be fulfilled. And it's a promise that was fulfilled. Because by the time you get to the book of Exodus, Israel is a great nation. Right? What started off as one guy and his wife from some pagan land ends up being 120 people, no, sorry, 75 people when you get to the end of book Genesis. And then when you get to the book of Exodus, we're now talking millions of people. The, God had made them into a great nation. Abram's descendants would become a great nation. Again, not great because of their strength, not great because of their might, God will tell them through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, I chose you not because you were more numerous, not because you were the strongest. I chose you because I decided to put my love upon you. And you are the descendants of Abram or Abraham who was my friend. Again, God's grace. Second, not only did he promise to make him a great nation, but he also promises to make his name great. His name great. 
We read throughout the story of Genesis that Abram's name was respected by many. His name was feared by many as well because they knew that the Lord was with him. And, and, and so God, you know, his name would be great. In fact, Abraham or Abram, Abraham, however you want to refer to him, he becomes sort of like the figurehead for three of the greatest world religions that we see in the world today, Christianity, Judaism, and, and Islam. They all trace their roots back to Abraham. And God often refers to himself in the Bible as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was a hero to the Jewish people. They thought that they were saved because they were descendants of Abraham. His name had indeed been made great. And then he promises that he will be a blessing. God promised that Abraham himself would be a blessing. We see this. Reiterated in Genesis 28, verse 4. This is a promise to Isaac. In chapter 28, then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padam Aram. To the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there as the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples. And may he give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abram. So there Isaac is blessing Jacob and saying that the blessing of Abraham will be upon you and we'll expand on this, how Abraham will be a blessing to the world, how he will be a blessing in verse 3. But we know, one of the things that we know about Abraham is that he is the one who will be the great, you know, great, 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 multiplied by about a billion times, grandfather of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We read this this morning when we looked at Galatians chapter 3. In verse 14 of Galatians chapter 3, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham that, came, that comes to Christ, that, or the, the blessing of God that comes to Abraham, that comes to us through him, is that we, the nations, the Gentiles, will receive God's Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. He is the seed of Abraham the one who is promised. He is the one who is the ultimate blessing that will be brought to this world. It is not just riches. It is not just Abraham becoming a nation unto himself. It is the fact that his ultimate grandson, Jesus Christ, will bring blessings to all the families of the earth, which we will see in just a moment. But again, God shows his grace and his mercy to Abram by blessing him. Again, remember, Abram is undeserving. Abram is unworthy. He has done nothing to seek after God. That's what we see here in, in all these stories, right? They, th these people are not seeking after God. God calls Abram. Abram wasn't looking for God. None of these men were, in a sense, looking for God. God calls him and says, you will be mine, and you will be the one who will be the vehicle of blessing to the world. Why? Because I chose you, Abram. He had done nothing to seek after God, but God blessed him. And then God blesses us in the same way. None of us seek after God, 
right? That's what you read in Romans 3. No one seeks after God. No one who is a sinner born in this world, born in Adam, seeks after God. God has to be the one to seek you. God has to be the one to call you, as he calls Abram, out of darkness into the kingdom of his son by the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, now we see the blessing of verse 2 is now expanded to a promise in verse 3. Where God now says to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God here promises to bless those who bless Abram, to curse those who curse him. And this is something, again, you see throughout the Old Testament, right? When the nation of Israel is about to enter into the promised land, and Moses is there, and he's speaking to them before they go, and this is in the book of Deuteronomy. He pronounces blessings and curses on the nation. And he tells them, it's like, look, if you obey the Lord... If you follow after him, if you obey his commandments, he will bless you. You will be blessed in the land. Your wombs will be fruitful. Your, the ground will produce abundantly for you. Your enemies shall flee from you. Right? He says, like, ten of you will chase away ten thousand. But then conversely, if you do not obey me, if you break my commandments, if you break my laws, you will not be blessed in the land. Your wombs will be shut. And your enemies will win you over. They will conquer you. But those who bless Abram will be blessed, and those who curse him will be cursed. And we've seen this throughout the Old Testament. It's a promise that's passed on to Isaac. It's a promise that's passed on to Jacob. Think about how Jacob, when he was working and laboring for his brother-in-law, or I guess his uncle, Laban, uh, father-in-law, and... and, um, God blesses Laban abundantly. Why? Because Jacob was there laboring for him, the son, the grandson of Abram. But this promise about blessings to others who bless them and curses to others who curse them is repeated to God and to Moses in Exodus 23:22. It's also repeated by the false prophet Balaam in the book of Numbers. You know that story well, right? You have Balak, who is the king of Moab. He hires Balaam, a false prophet, to curse the people of Israel. And he cannot curse him. He says, I can only speak what God gives me. And instead of cursing the people of Israel, Balaam actually ends up blessing them. And as we said, as long as God's people were obedient to God's law, as long as they were obedient to the covenant, God would fight for them. He would be on their side. And he would deliver them. How many of Israel's enemies suffered for opposing Israel? How many of them were blessed by blessing Israel? But this promise goes far beyond earthly or temporal blessings for those who are kind to Abram and his descendants. It is a promise of spiritual, it is a promise of eschatological blessings to the world through Abraham. This is more than just you will be blessed materially if you are kind to Abram and his descendants. It is a promise of blessing through Christ. And this idea that he will be, that all the families of the earth shall be blessed 
is repeated in Genesis 18.18, is repeated in Genesis 22.18, 26.4, so on and so forth. He repeats this over and over again. Now, it's enough for God to say something once, but when God repeats it, that means it's something that is going to happen. It is you can bank on it. And this blessings to all the families of the earth is realized in the birth of Jesus Christ, which is why in Matthew's Gospel, when Matthew's Gospel opens, it opens much in the same way as the book of Genesis opens. Where in Genesis you have, these are the genealogies, this is the genealogy of so-and-so. The book of Matthew opens, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A very Jewish way of speaking. And he calls him the son of David and the son of Abraham. This promised seed, this one who was promised to Abraham that through him, through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, is realized in the birth of Jesus Christ. All the families of the earth will be blessed through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of Abraham. He is the seed of Abraham. In the book of Acts, when Peter is preaching to the people in front of the temple in Acts chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, he is preaching to the people in front of the temple. They've just healed this man who was lame. And he says in Acts chapter 3, verse 25, You are the sons of the prophets. He's speaking to a group of mainly Jewish people. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So Peter, when he preaches this sermon, focuses on the promise that was made to Abraham and then centers that promise on Jesus Christ. The families of the earth are blessed in the fact that Jesus Christ comes to remove their iniquities, their sin, to take and deal with their sin problem. And as we read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, actually, we can start in verse... Six, just as Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. That verse, 12, chapter 12, verse 3 of Genesis, where God says to Abraham, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, Paul here says in Galatians, that was a preaching of the gospel beforehand. The gospel was proclaimed by God to Abraham for all to hear that in you, through you, Abraham, the world will be blessed because of your seed, Jesus Christ. So centuries after the promise of Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God chose this man, Abram. And Abram, in a sense, is a, a father, if you will, of a new humanity that comes through him. A new humanity of the faithful. 
those who share in the same faith of Abram. And he would be a vehicle then through which Messiah would come into this world. The seed of Abraham who would come to take away our sins and bless the nations. Romans 4.11 speaks of this. And he, that is Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he, Abraham, might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. The blessing of Abraham is that he is the father of the faithful. The blessing of Abraham is that through him Christ comes into this world. Now, of course, many people were indeed blessed through Abram. We've seen the physical blessings, how the nation of Israel was blessed, how those who were kind to Israel were blessed, how those who were, who were just in the vicinity of God's people were blessed materially. But the greatest blessing of all is that through Abraham's family tree, culminating in Jesus Christ, he was born to save humanity. We're not saved by Abram. We're not saved. The Jewish people thought they were saved because they were sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, I can raise up sons of Abraham from the very rocks at your feet. It is not that you are descended from Abraham that makes you saved. It is the fact that you follow in the faith of Abraham. He is the father of the faithful. And while Abram's natural descendants, the nation of Israel, received much from God's hand, they received the land as a promise, they gave, God gave them the law, God gave them worship, it is only those who are faith who are the true children of Abraham, the true descendants of Abraham. Again, I will read for you Galatians 3.29. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are a descendant of Abraham by faith if you are in Christ. The true children of Abraham are true recipients of the blessings of Messiah. And those blessings, we have to understand, beloved, those blessings are what? What did Christ come into this world to do? He came into this world to forgive us from our sins. Right? In John's Gospel, when Jesus passes by, John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have forgiveness of sins because of Jesus Christ. We have a sin problem, right? Humanity has a sin problem, and Jesus is the answer to that sin problem because he came to take away our sins. But more than that, Jesus then gives us his righteousness. His righteousness is imputed to us. It is given to us, granted to us by our faith, through our faith. That was something that was told to Abraham when he believed God and it was granted to him to be righteous in God's sight. We receive the same righteousness of Christ through our faith. Christ lived perfectly according to the law and then we who are of, uh, of the, the, the seed of Abraham through faith receive that righteousness. And we need that righteousness because we cannot stand before a holy God without the perfect righteousness of Christ. And thirdly, the blessings of Messiah are eternal life guaranteed. We are guaranteed eternal life through Jesus Christ. John 3.16, whoever believes in Christ shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. And these are far better than any 
earthly blessings we can receive in this world. The blessing of Messiah is that the seed of Abraham is the one who brings blessings to all the families of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into this world, we recognize that this promise was made long ago to the forefather of the faithful, Abraham. He was told that he would be a vehicle of blessing, that through him the Messiah would come into this world, that he would be the one who would start off a new humanity and bring to fruition the promise that was made back in the garden when Adam and Eve failed. This promised seed would be our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who would crush the head of the serpent, who would live a perfect life and give that righteousness to us, and who would forgive us our sins and grant us the blessing of eternal life with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That is the promise of Messiah. That is the the blessings of Messiah. And Lord, we who are of faith, we who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation will receive these blessings, have received these blessings. So Lord, I pray that you will bless these dear ones here this day and bless the remainder of our worship service. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.